Good morning, welcome. Please take out your Bibles. Uh, please turn in them to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, uh, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. I wonder how many chapters of the Bible I have said that about. All true. Uh, John 10 is wonderful. I'm excited about it. Page 896 in the Pew Bible, John chapter 10. Uh, don't let John 9 deceive you. We covered John 9 in two weeks. That will probably never happen again. Uh, but we should long to linger long in John chapter 10. We've had some clear revelations of the person of Christ. We've had some confrontational revelations of the person of Christ. Uh, this is maybe the most comforting and compassionate revelation of the person of Christ. 4 verse 11, here's the big idea for the next number of weeks. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is who Jesus is. This is maybe the most comforting metaphor of the person of Christ. Who is Jesus? That is the eternally important question. He is the good shepherd. Are you in need of comfort today? Oh, there is much to be found here. But Jesus provides that comfort first through some compare and contrast. He is the good shepherd. There must also then be bad shepherds. To see and understand him as the good shepherd, it is helpful to see and understand the bad shepherds. But since we're not going to get to his claim to be the good shepherd yet today, that'll be next time, I want us to first to consider Christ as the true shepherd in contrast to all false shepherds. For that is how he begins this good shepherd discourse. Context is going to be important today, textual context and historical context. This text won't make as much sense without chapter 9, and this text won't make as much sense without some sort of understanding of shepherds and sheep. Uh, I have never met a shepherd. I don't think I've ever even touched a sheep. I'm not a big animal person. You guys know that. Um, but does that mean that I cannot understand what Jesus is teaching here? Well, one supposed shepherd think so. Uh, Andy Stanley made some waves a few years back when Christianity Today asked him if we should stop calling pastors shepherds. Stanley said this, absolutely, that word needs to go away. Jesus talked about shepherds because there was one over there in a pasture he could point to. But to bring in that imagery today and say, pastor, you're the shepherd of the flock, no, I've never seen a flock. I've never spent five minutes with a shepherd. It was culturally relevant in the time of Jesus. It is not culturally relevant anymore. If Jesus were here today, would he talk about shepherds? No. He would point to something that we all know. The shepherd model is gone. Andy Stanley says that he is not a shepherd. He is correct. <laughs> but... <laughs> That's a pretty relevant example of exactly what Jesus is talking about in our text. Ironically, using the very metaphor that Stanley rejects. Because Jesus here gives us a beautiful picture of who he is as the one true and good shepherd. And this metaphor is ever and always relevant. It is ever and always a revelation of the great care and compassion that Christ has for his children, for, for you. But as only Jesus can do in revealing his nature to us, he is at the same time revealing to us the nature of false shepherds. 
in showing us what we should look to in him, he is also showing us what we should look out for in false teachers. And it is against the dark and disturbing background of that which is false and bad, that that which is, or he who is, true and good shines forth. Who or what are you looking to to shepherd your soul? Something is shepherding your soul. Where do you look to find the care, the guidance, the protection, the food that your soul needs to thrive and survive? There are all sorts of shepherds out there. There is only one true and good shepherd. Let's look at him together this morning. The main thing that I want you to see is that the true shepherd intimately and lovingly knows and leads his sheep. The true shepherd intimately and lovingly knows and leads his sheep. And then the true sheep obediently and lovingly know and follow their shepherd. But that's going to be our big idea. Right? To get to that, we're going to walk through three points, nice and simple this morning. We're going to start with the false shepherds, which will then better help us to appreciate the true shepherd. And then we'll close by briefly considering the true sheep of the true shepherd. Let us read the text. Uh, This is the most important part. Uh, This is one big discourse, verses 1 through 21. I want to read the whole thing for you, though it will take us three or four weeks to get through it. I'm going to read all of 121 for you. We're going to focus on verses 1 through 6 this morning. But pay attention. This is the voice of the good shepherd. John 10, verse 1. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this is the reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. 
There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? If you would bow with me, let's, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, Shepherd, help us. May we hear your voice now through your word. Father, give us the ears to hear your voice in your word. Father, show us Christ, the true and good shepherd. Father, show us the false shepherds. Uh, Show us um, what we are so prone to look to, to be the shepherd of our souls. And set all of those aside, Father, and show us Christ. Inform our minds, draw our hearts to him, give us great desire and delight in Jesus Christ, the shepherd of our souls. And Father, I pray that you would bring great comfort to us, your sheep, this morning as we see how good and gracious and compassionate and kind Christ is towards us. Father, please help me to be clear. Please help me to be here to focus on you and to magnify you and not myself. Draw our attention to your word and to your son, Jesus Christ. Father, please help the preaching of your word and the hearing of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, number one, we start with the false shepherds. It seems like a pretty simple story. Again, you don't have to be a shepherd to understand the metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep. But you'd be amazed at how worked up people get over this story and how much they complicate things. Verse 6 tells us that Jesus is using a figure of speech. John never uses the word parables. Uh, Jesus is not speaking in a parable here. This is technically a little bit different. But we see there in verse 6 that they do not understand the figure of the speech. Thus, they are already proving that they are not his sheep. For it is going to be the characteristic of sheep that they hear and follow the voice of the shepherd. But as a figure of speech, as a metaphor, some call it an allegory, uh, whatever it is exactly, we need to be careful in interpreting it. We're not looking for meaning in every single detail. That's not how these work. You're going to ask, well, who or what is the gatekeeper? And I am going to say, I don't know. Uh, Some people argue the gatekeeper is the man born blind. Some people argue that the gatekeeper is the Holy Spirit. Some people argue that the gatekeeper is the Father, that the gatekeeper is the Holy Spirit, and on and on and on it goes. That's not the point. The big idea is the point. There will be some details that Jesus seems to interpret for us, but just be careful in getting caught up and in sorting every single little thing out. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Jesus is the good shepherd. But first, that certain pronouncement comes in a certain context. Look at verse 1. Twice in this passage, verse 1 and verse 7, we have again Jesus' statement, Truly, truly, I say to you. A solemn statement of significance. This is one of the ways that Jesus would say, pay attention, this is important, listen to this. Well, listen to what? Verse 1. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. What? What are you talking about, Jesus? Well, here's one of those details. Who are the thieves and the robbers? Well, here, actually, I don't think we have to speculate. I think context tells us who the thieves and the robbers are. Look ahead at the end of this part of the discourse. Back in verse 20, or ahead in verse 20, the Jews will again say, Ah, he's got a demon. This man is insane. Again, strong words, 
Quite an accusation, but not everyone is that adamantly against Jesus yet. Verse 21, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That right there at once situates us in the context of chapter 9. That statement drives us back to chapter 9 to read what Jesus is saying here in chapter 10 through the lens of what Jesus was doing there in chapter 9. Plus, John records for us 25 uses of that truly, truly statement. Never once does John use that to start a new section or a new teaching or a new discourse. So chapter 10 goes along with chapter 9. The story is continuing. I think that this is the same episode. There's, just ignore the chapter break. Ignore that 10. Jesus is addressing chapter 9. He is still talking to and about the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the thieves and the robbers. Remember what we just saw in chapter 9. There has been a man blind from birth. Jesus has compassionately cared for that man, that sheep. In seeing him, And then in healing him, remember, end of chapter 8, Christ reveals his great glory before Abraham was, I am. Beginning of chapter 9, he helps and heals. Immediately, Christ moves from a revelation of his glory directly to a helping of the hurting. He goes straight from the claim to be the all-glorious God to serve and save an all-miserable man. Which is just a further demonstration of his glory. This is the good shepherd in Action, But we then saw how the Pharisees responded to Christ's compassion and kindness. They refuse it, resist it, reject it. And the result for the man born blind, this miserable lifelong sufferer, this outcast, chapter 9, verse 34, the Pharisees cast him out. That is the bad shepherds in action. And then in verses 35 through 39, we saw Christ's true care for his sheep and his calling of his sheep. The real healing was there. The outward, physical, supernatural works of Jesus are always signs, always pointing to more important inward spiritual realities. Jesus did not come to make the blind see. He came to make the dead live, as he does for this man who goes on to confess and worship the Christ who gave him light and life. But look then at verse 41 of chapter 9. Here was the conclusion specifically of the sight aspect of the story. The Pharisees had asked, well, are, are we also blind, Jesus? And Jesus says this, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you see, now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. We skipped that. Well, what is Jesus saying there? Yeah, I think he's simply saying that if they knew they were helpless... They could be helped. If they could recognize their helplessness and admit their helplessness, they could receive help. But as long as they think that they can see, remember how the Pharisees kept saying, we know, we know, we know. As long as they know that they can see without Jesus, they think that they can see without Jesus, well, they they will remain blind. And chapter 10, verse 1 picks right up on that. Now Jesus turns to address the negative impact that the sinful, willful, selfish blindness of the Pharisees has on others, specifically on the sheep. But first, we need to try to better understand the metaphor. What is a sheepfold? Well, you couldn't just leave valuable sheep out at night by themselves because, well, sheep are dumb. And also, thieves and robbers 
And since most people weren't that wealthy back then, uh, there was often a shared communal pen that would hold the sheep of multiple families. It would consist of kind of rough stone walls, and there would be one gate, and then the families would pool their resources, and they would hire a gatekeeper to, to watch the gate at night. Right? So every night, all these different families would come in, they would leave their sheep, close and lock the gate, gatekeeper would guard. Now, the point is simple at the beginning here. Those who are authorized to enter the fold do so by the gate. And if you see me next door pulling out keys, unlocking the door of the parsonage with them, and then entering, well, you naturally assume that I have the right to enter the house. If, however, you look out the window of the fellowship hall and you see someone throwing a rock at my window, right, and then entering the house through the window, well, you naturally assume that they do not have the right to enter into the house. Thus, anyone who enters the sheephold by another way over the wall must be a thief and a robber, must be a false shepherd, as the Pharisees have just demonstrated in casting out the blind man. Why? Why would they cast out a man miraculously healed of an entire life of blindness? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus was a threat. Because Jesus was a threat to them. He was a threat to their position, their power, and their prosperity. This is one of the chief marks of all false shepherds. We read it in Ezekiel 34. Instead of feeding the sheep, they are fleecing the sheep. Instead of serving as a means of caring and providing for the sheep, they are um, using the sheep as a means of caring and providing for themselves. Instead of seeking the good of others, they seek the good of themselves. Instead of seeking spiritual gain for the sheep, they seek physical and financial gain for themselves. Remember when Jesus clears the temple, he accuses the Pharisees of of making the temple into a den of robbers. He says elsewhere that uh, the Pharisees devour widows' houses. And here he calls them thieves and robbers. And we just read God predict this in Ezekiel 34. Let me read part of it again. Jesus is fulfilling Ezekiel 34 here. God had said, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts." And then God says in verse 10, Behold, I am against the shepherds. This is a theme in the prophets. Jeremiah 23, verses 1 and 2. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds declares the Lord. And now in John chapter 10, the true shepherd has come. And he here pronounces judgment against all false shepherds. So are you cautious and concerned? Are you aware of and alert to the great danger that are false shepherds? 
Jesus reserves his strongest words, his clearest condemnation for the false shepherds and teachers. Go read Galatians and you will find a very different Paul. You will find a very angry and aggressive Paul. Why? Because of false shepherds peddling a false gospel. Paul doesn't mess around there. He does not mince words, nor does the Christ that Paul imitates. We are so little concerned with doctrine today. And professing Christians are often not very discerning. Like I said, the name of Jesus? Great. Uh, Listen to him. Like guys on TBN? Great. Uh, Listen to him. He wrote a book and plastered his big head on the cover? Great. Listen to him. No, please be careful. Consider the example of Christ here. He has no problem to the Pharisees calling them false shepherds and thieves and robbers. He has no problem calling them what they are. But this is so unpopular today as the church increasingly imbibes the spirit of the age that makes the chief of sins criticizing anyone or saying that anyone uh, might be wrong. Some of you have already probably thought, oh man, probably shouldn't have said Andy Stanley's name right earlier. But why, why, why not? Honestly, why not? What if he's actually a false shepherd? What if he is? He he denies even being a shepherd. What if he's preaching a false gospel? When the not-shepherd of the largest church in our country says that the Old and New Testament contradict one another and that we must remove the Bible as the foundation of our faith, why not point to that and say, hey, that's dangerously wrong. Don't listen to him. Because as we're about to see, the word is going to be the very thing that the true shepherd points to to define his ministry and mark out his sheep. And Stanley says, hey, remove that word. That cannot be the foundation. That's a false shepherd. That's a false teacher. And so a false shepherd is anyone or anything that turns your attention away from Jesus. A false shepherd is anything that draws you away from the true shepherd. And God takes that very seriously because God loves his sheep very much. And so on this text, uh, J.C. Ryle says, Nothing seems so offensive to Christ as a false teacher of religion, a false prophet, or a false shepherd. Nothing ought to be so much dreaded in the church and, if needful, to be so plainly rebuked, opposed, and exposed. And yet we're surrounded by them. We listen to them. We get upset if anyone dares to maybe point out one of them as false. Are you listening to any false shepherds? Are you aware of what tends to draw your attention and your affection away from the one true shepherd? Whatever that is. It could be a people, a person. It could be a specific teaching. It could be all kinds of things. There are all kinds of things that draw our attention and affection away from the shepherd. Whatever that thing is for you, Run, resist it, and reject it. Because, point number two, because look at how good the one true shepherd is. Don't let anything draw you away from that which is the highest good. Listen, I know I'm, I struggle with it. I know that I have an issue with this. We don't want to be against something just for the sake of being against it. Okay, that, we don't want to do that. We want to be against something Because it draws us away from the best something. We must always and only be against that which is against him. And so go back to the text and consider this Christ. He's called out the thieves and the robbers. 
Be aware of them. Be able to recognize them that you may flee them, but be more aware of him. Be able to recognize him and flee to the shepherd of verse 2. False shepherds are so bad because they draw you away from this. Look at verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. So the first thing that we see is that this one is the one who is authorized to enter. He has the right and the authority to do so. He enters by the door. And even better, we're going to see next time Jesus beautifully mixes metaphors. You're like, oh, don't mix your metaphors. Jesus mixes his metaphors. He is the door. He is the shepherd of the sheep and the door of the sheep. That will be next time. But look at the rest of verse 3. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Stop there. All I want to do for the most of the rest of our time is I want to draw your attention to, to six things that the true shepherd does for the true sheep. We can learn much about who he is from what he does. And these two verses are just chock full of truths. Remember, this is a metaphor. Jesus is using the shepherding of sheep to teach us about his shepherding of souls. Remember Martin Lloyd-Jones. The ultimate secret of every godly Christian is that he has come at last to realize that the most precious thing in life is his soul. The soul within me goes on for all eternity. My soul is the most precious thing of all. That is what I want to safeguard and protect. And that starts first with recognizing and resting in the only one who can safeguard and protect your soul. Look at how the true shepherd cares for the most priceless thing in life. Six things. We'll have to go through them fairly quickly. Number one, the shepherd owns the sheep. Number one, the shepherd owns the sheep. It's in verse 3. It says he calls his own sheep by name. The sheep are his. Now again, that may not sound like good news in our world that hates authority. Again, our culture is increasingly trying to convince us that we find ourselves only within ourselves. That, that your identity, your true self, can only be found as you express that which is within Okay, that could not be more wrong. You do not want to know or see all that is within here. You don't want that. It is striking that the increasingly look-at-me culture is increasingly the I am miserable culture. It is striking that the wealthiest and most comfortable culture in history is also the most depressed and most medicated culture in history. Maybe we don't find our true self within, but without. Maybe we do not find life in being our own, but in being his own. The shepherd owns the sheep. And this is the best news for the one who owns you is verse 11. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. In contrast to any and every other false shepherd who uses the sheep to seek their own gain. Only the true shepherd seeks the good of the sheep. Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise, serve with gladness, sing. Why? Verse 3, for we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so we have to start off first with the shepherd owns the sheep. But again, that's so foreign to our ears today. If you're still unsure about this one, let's keep moving. Let's see the result of this ownership 
What does he do for those who are his? Christian, what does he do for you? Number two, the shepherd calls the sheep. He owns the sheep. He calls the sheep. Twice, verse 3, he says, he calls his own sheep by name. Verse 4, they follow him for they know his voice. All right, what's this calling to? Well, back to the mixed metaphor. Look ahead at verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. Again, Jesus is the best at using very earthy, physical metaphors to teach very heavenly spiritual realities. He's talking about life. Next next time is about life. Verse 10, abundant life. Which is what? It's Him. He's calling us to Himself. And since He is light and life, since He is the way, the truth, and the life, since He claims to be the Creator, Sustainer, and Redeemer of life, in calling us to Himself, He's calling us to life. He is abundant life. Again, we know that life is a relationship. Even non-Christians, psychologists, everyone recognizes that life and fullness of life is not found in the things that you're pursuing. Your experiences and your money and your wealth and your security. It's found in relationship. Meaning and joy in life is found first in relationship. Well, here we have the God of life graciously calling us into relationship with him. For he knows where we find life. Chapter 17, verse 3. Knowing God and Jesus Christ is eternal life. Listen, if we could just believe that one truth, if we could just live as if life was actually found in him, uh, that all that we are looking for, that all of life is found in him, that would change our entire life. We are all of us always looking for life. The question is, where are we looking Listen, I just, I just don't believe Psalm chapter 16, if I'm being completely honest. I don't live like I believe that Psalm chapter 16 is true. I am striving to believe Psalm chapter 16. I have no good apart from you. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's either true or false. We as Christians believe that the whole of God's word is true. But all that it asserts is true. It cannot assert that which is false. It cannot contradict itself. It is the foundation of our faith. That word says that there is no good apart from him. That there is full joy and eternal pleasure in him. And so in calling us, in calling us out of death into life, he is calling us to himself, the one in whom we find life. Remember, God working ultimately for his glory is also then working ultimately for your good because he is your ultimate good. This is what the shepherd does for the sheep. The shepherd calls the sheep. And don't miss that he calls us by name. I mean, that's there for a reason. I'm terrible with names. I can't even get my children's names correct. I forget all of your names regularly. Christ never forgets names. Yes, he is calling out and creating a corporate people for himself. But that corporate people consists of individual persons. And he knows and calls each and every one of us by name. Isaiah 43, verse 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So there's one and two coming together. Owned and called. And thus by his grace, redeemed. 
But let's flesh this out further. Let's, let's keep moving. Number three. The shepherd calls the sheep because the shepherd first knows the sheep. Number three, the shepherd knows the sheep. He calls you by name because he knows you. Look ahead at verse 14. We're going to be in this for a while. The second time, Jesus repeats, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd is first characterized in verse 11 as laying down his life for the sheep. Jesus says that three times in a very short space. That's going to be important. But second, in verse 14, the good shepherd is characterized by, I know my own and my own know me. Church, let me commend to you Psalm 139. Uh, You should know Psalm 139. Do you ever feel alone? Do you ever feel not known? In Christ, that is never true. Take this to heart. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. I won't read the whole thing. I won't. Verse 13, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. There are a few more beautiful passages of, uh, passages of Scripture than Psalm 139. Uh, there are a few more comforting truths than the intimate knowledge of the all-glorious God, of his tiny little significant people. Does your soul know this very well? If not, well, seek to know it. A great practical step would be memorize Psalm 139. Start by rehearsing it and meditating on it. Start by intentionally bringing its truths to bear on your situations of sadness and loneliness. The good shepherd intimately and compassionately knows the sheep, each and every one of them individually by name. He knows our strengths, if we have any. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our personalities, our fears, our insecurities, our everything. And listen, don't miss how good this is. I just said that you do not want to see and know all that is within here. Christ perfectly sees and knows all that is within here. And yet, he still calls me. And yet, I am still his. Here is the goodness of the good shepherd. Here is the grace of the good shepherd. Here is the necessity of the death of the good shepherd. He knows us. What does that mean? He knows. He knows our sin. He loves us. To love is to seek the good of the loved. That means that he must do something about that sin. And he does. Three times the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The shepherd takes the place of the sheep. The shepherd takes the sin of the sheep. And the punishment, that sin, your sin, my sin deserves. The wages of sin is death. We sin The shepherd dies. The incomparable Isaiah 53, verse verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The good shepherd in knowing us knows that. Knows that we have strayed. And how does God respond to our sinful strain? And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. 
Like a sheep, he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. It was the will, the desire, the pleasure of the Lord to crush him. He was put, uh, he has put him to grief. His soul makes an offering for our guilt. He poured out his soul to death. He bore the sin of many. He makes intercession for the transgressors. That's the good shepherd. That's the result of his knowing you in your sin. That is his response to knowing you in your sin. The shepherd takes the sin of the sheep. The shepherd becomes a sheep and then dies in the place of the sheep so that the sheep can live. Do you know what it means to be known? Do you know what it costs for him to know you in this way? Do you know what this means for you? The shepherd knows the sheep and gives his life for the sheep. That is amazing grace. Number four, the shepherd leads the sheep. Tells us he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. I know that I haven't mentioned Psalm 23 yet. Trying to save it for next time. Um, Isaiah 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. what What a beautiful picture. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Psalm 80, verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead us, Joseph, that's Israel, his people, like a flock. And whether we know it or not, we are all of us looking for leadership because we were created for leadership. We were not created to be autonomous, not created to follow our own hearts, our own leadership. We could all cite experiences of the disasters that have followed our following the leading of our own hearts. Here is God's gracious provision of the good shepherd who leads his sheep. He gives us the guidance the direction, the authority, uh, the comfort, the care that we need. But the big question then is, is is, is how? How how does he do that? Well, well, hold that thought. Let's let's tie these last three together. Let's, Let's pick up the pace and rush through these last three. Number five, we've seen that he leads. Number five, the shepherd feeds the sheep. I mean, obviously, the shepherd feeds the sheep. That one isn't as explicit in verses Three and four, um, I think it's there. I think it's implied by the leading out. Where would a shepherd be leading his sheep? Well, to food. It's in verse 9. If you want to look ahead to verse 9, the sheep will find pasture. Pasture is food. The shepherd feeds the sheep. Food is life. Sheep die without food. It is one of the primary responsibilities of the shepherd to lead the sheep to that food. But again, this is a metaphor. How does the true and good shepherd feed his spiritual sheep? Your soul is hungry. How are you eating? You are eating. What are you eating? How are you eating? Hold on, we're getting there. Number six, flying. Real quick. The shepherd is with the sheep. Again, it's not there explicitly, but I think it's implied. Foundational in all the others. The gate opens. The shepherd is entering into the place where the sheep are. He is with them. He is calling them because he knows them. He is with them. He is going before them and leading them. He is with them. He is leading them to pasture to feed them. He is with them. Again, I'm trying to intentionally stay away from Psalm 23 because we're not even to the good shepherd part yet. We're going to look at it in great detail next time, but I can't help it here. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, the worst thing, I will fear no evil. What? 
How? For you are with me. That's it. The presence of God is how. The presence of God is everything. I mean, you could make a case that the whole storyline of Scripture is about this. The whole storyline of Scripture is about the holy God restoring the possibility of His presence with and among His sinful people. And if He is all the things that we just saw in Psalm chapter 16 that we don't really believe, if He is all of those things, then this is everything. God is with us. And that is what Christ is as Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. And that is what you need. The presence of God. And the promise of God. The very last words of the Gospel of Matthew. This is what Jesus leaves us with. I am with you always to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I, jokingly, I say that to my kids jokingly all the time. Um, but it's, not, it's, it's a profoundly comforting and wonderful truth. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the true and good shepherd. This is who he is, revealed in what he does. This is how he cares for the sheep, for you. Know this, you are his. He calls you, he knows you, he leads you, he feeds you. He is with you always. That's where you will find the comfort that you are looking for. No matter how good or bad things are, he never changes. Circumstances change wildly. You change wildly. Your feelings change wildly. He never changes an inch. And he never stops doing these six things perfectly for those who are his. He does all things well. He does these six things always and well all the time. Point number three. The true shepherd of the true sheep. I'll be very brief here. All I want to do is draw your attention to one thing, and we'll be done. I haven't yet answered the question, how? How does he lead us? How does he feed us? How is he with us? He tells us, verse 3, the sheep hear his voice. Verse 4, the sheep know his voice. And you know where I'm going here. Trace it back. This is one of John's main themes. We read back in chapter 8, 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. We read in 663, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, to which Peter responded, you have the words of eternal life. And then we read all the way back in the beginning, the first thing that John wants you to know about this true and good shepherd. Here's the first, I've got, I've got one thing to tell you. The first thing, what's the first thing going to be? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The voice of the shepherd is the Word of God. The voice of God is the Word of God. This is where you hear his voice. This is where he calls. This is how he leads. This is how he feeds. This is how he is with us. This shouldn't disappoint us because words are life. I'm trying to really emphasize how fundamental, remember, relationship is life. Words are at the very heart and center of relationship. We reveal ourselves to each other through our words. We relate to one another uh, through these words. Words are life. And this word, Hebrews 4, 12, is living and active. That means that it does something. I spent a whole Sunday school basically trying to argue that God's grace 
does something. That the Lord's Supper does something. The Word of God is a means of God's grace. The Word is the channel through which God reveals Himself to us and relates Himself to us. And He does all of that through His Son that is found in these words. Listen, this is the mark of the true sheep. They know the voice of the shepherd and they follow. I mean, note verse 5 also. They do not follow strangers, the, the false and the bad shepherds, for they do not know their voice. And that means, by the way, like, it's a very bad sign if someone keeps finding themselves caught up in and under and listening to the voice of false teachers. I believe very strongly that the false teacher will face the far greater judgment. Uh, but it is not a good sign if someone is following that which is false. Not knowing that which is false. It may be because they are not following he who is true and not knowing he who is true. Because the sheep know and love and follow the voice of the shepherd. And thus they're able to recognize that which is not the voice of their shepherd. And so that voice is found in his word. That voice is found in his word rightly proclaimed, uh, rightly read, rightly prayed, rightly studied. It is the means through which he mediates all these things and does all these things for his sheep. This is the mark. The sheep hear and follow the voice of the shepherd. Thus, again, the true sheep of Jesus will be marked to some degree. And again, we're all struggling sinners in this area. We're all working and growing. But a true sheep will to some degree be marked by an abiding and growing desire for the Word of God. To read the Bible. To think about the Bible. To understand the Bible. To hear the Bible taught. Not because they're intellectuals. Not because they're literary minded. But because they want to hear the beautiful voice of their good shepherd. In 1221, some Greeks will come to Philip and say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Sheep today say, Sir, we wish to hear Jesus. And they know that they hear him here. Love the word of God. Listen to the voice of the glorious, good, and true shepherd that is found in the Word of God. Do you know and recognize the voice of the true shepherd? Do you hear and heed the voice of the good and true shepherd? Do you delight in the Word of God that is the voice of God? Does your soul find rest in the perfect care of the true and good shepherd? Your circumstances changing are not going to provide for you what you think that they're going to provide for you. You think if your circumstances just change, then you'll find comfort. Uh, Then you'll be happy. Then things will be better once things are easier. And that's that's not how it works. And we know that that's not how it works. The thing that you're looking for is found here in the perfect relationship, the perfect care of the good and true shepherd, Jesus Christ. Christian, I want to commend to you the comfort that is to be found here. What kindness and compassion and care that the God of all glory, perfect in power, absolutely holy, that this is how he deals with us. Weak, sinful, struggling sheep. Your hope is here. It's in knowing him. That is eternal life. Trusting him. Resting in him. He owns. He calls. He knows. He leads. He feeds. He is with you. The true shepherd intimately and lovingly knows and leads his sheep. And the true sheep obediently and lovingly know and follow 
their shepherd. Let me give the last word to John Newton. I'll close with this from one of his letters. Here's what he writes. Like sheep, we are weak, destitute, defenseless, prone to wander, unable to return, always surrounded by wolves. Oh, but all of this is made up for in the fullness, ability, wisdom, compassion, care, and faithfulness of our great shepherd. He guides, protects, feeds, heals, and restores. And he will be our guide and our God even until death. And even then, he will meet us, receive us, and present us unto himself. And we shall be near him and like him and with him forever. Ah, what a subject this is. I trust it is the joy of your heart. May the care of the true and good shepherd be the joy of your heart. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, that is our prayer. We pray that the good shepherd would be the joy of our heart. We pray that knowing him and being known by him would be that which brings us delight and joy and rest and peace. That that would be where we find our identity and our purpose and our meaning in our life. Father, please do what I cannot do. Please reveal to our hearts the glory of the Good Shepherd. Father, show us how everything else falters and fails us. Show us how only Christ can sustain us and satisfy us. Father, I pray for your saints that they would find great comfort in the Good Shepherd of their souls. I pray that I would find great comfort and rest and joy in the shepherd of my soul. Father, help us to love him. Forgive us for how cold and apathetic we so often are towards this, which is the best thing. Father, for those who are in here who do not know you, Father, we know that you work through your word, and so we pray that you would do that now. Um, Show them their great sin. Show them the great Savior of sinners and draw them to Jesus Christ, Lord. Father, do your work now by your spirit, through your word. And we ask and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.